Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And it's Down Syndrome Awareness Month 2022. It's actually the end of Down Syndrome Awareness Month. And um, this month goes so fast for me for so many reasons. But one, and I think I say this at the last couple episodes of Down Syndrome Awareness, that I feel a certain pressure knowing that it's Down Syndrome Awareness Month. Mm Mm-hmm especially since we have this podcast and the birth of this podcast was to bring awareness and to make a change and to change the conversation, advocate inclusion, and really just break some of those misperceptions and the, that are propagated. The ones that we, that we received a barrage of when our son was born and we know people are still getting these same. Yeah. I wanted there to be awareness that that isn't the journey because that journey comes from a history of society changing and really losing itself as far as finding industry and losing a bit of humanity. So we wanted to work towards changing that conversation. So when October comes around, I don't, I just feel that oh I should be doing more. I see especially a lot of my friends they do posts every day and I am not awesome with social media. It, the day will get past me and then I will re- realize I didn't post a single thing. And I started to ask my I think it's because I ask myself what is it that I want to bring awareness to but not only what is it I want to bring awareness to? But who is it that I want to make aware of these things? Because as far as my community, my my friends and my family, they're aware that my son has Down syndrome and people who really know us, and those are usually the people I speak to, they know the path that we've taken. They They know Liam's story and the fight for his equality. And um, they're always astonished. What I've learned is that it is true that all they have to do is show up. And by just bringing Liam with me as I would and had Sophia by just being present and really, unfortunately, what's new to me is not explaining or apologizing or uh, validating and just being. That is my advocacy. And that is where I think my awareness campaign has its strength though I do strive really to be better with it because I did. I brought him to one of Sophia's school events that I was volunteering for. This is a new community. I don't really know any of the parents and uh, I just brought him and never once did I say the word Down syndrome. Never once did I make an accommodation. Never once did I ask for uh, an, did, did I apologize or you know, make a correction that is other than what I would have done for Sophia or, you know, there's n- never once. And it, and it was probably honestly the first time that that had happened. 
and it was for me, it was so free. I just felt so free to, I wasn't, I didn't care what other people thought. I wasn't even aware. Like I was no longer paying attention to what other people thought. And I, and that gift was given to me by our interview with Kata and Eric Rubenstein. When she said, when I asked her what others thought of you, if that bothered, if that bothered her. And she just really was like, I don't pay attention to it. And in that moment, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to do that from now on. I'm just not even going to think, I'm not going to do half the work of people who have these exterior thoughts. I'm going to let them do the whole work. So if they have something to say, I'm going to let them muster the courage to come and start the conversation with me. Because those conversations can be good and bad, not what I'm expecting, um, but they can really uh, change the focus for me of what's right in front of me. And honestly, I have to know that Liam feels that like, you know, I know that he had fun. And, and honestly, there w- I had to go do something and Liam said he wanted to stand and help this other mom do this other job. And she was like, it's cool. And she was a really cool mom that one didn't mention any, didn't approach it like it was any other, she would with any other child. And so I was like, are you, you're okay. And she was like, yeah. And he was like later. And I just left and, and it was really, really nice. It was, it was really freeing. And it was probably the first time that that ever happened to me. And I don't know if it would have happened if I was just focused on what do people think and what is going to happen and how can I control it? And how can I make this quote unquote, right? Because I think that's off the table. I don't think that's really a part of the conversation. When I think about Down Syndrome Awareness Month, I think about awareness, you know, like you're saying, I guess it's making society aware of Down Syndrome and accomplishments of people with Down Syndrome and I guess the equality and the rights that people with Down Syndrome should have. But when I think of this podcast, I feel like it's kind of preaching to the choir, right? Like that's what you said before. We're all aware of Down syndrome, but one thing that I think is something to be aware of is the words that we hear from society and the given thoughts that society just has embedded in it about our kids. To the point that they're highly unaware of the language that they use. This is what you're saying, right? That people, people say things and they're not aware even. Yeah, I don't fault them so much as I think... They need to be educated. Isn't that funny? I mean, they, they're the ones that need the education. education. Should we fight for their support? <laughs> we need it. The thing is about awareness. Like when, when you talk about um, breast cancer awareness or um, it's like be aware to get your screening so that way we can, that we can catch it early and, you know, self-care and those things. And, but awareness is, I, th- I think that's it. Like for me, you're right. It's like, what, what do I want to bring awareness to? And, and I think it does go back to being simple. Like if I hear something, I I think for the most part, people are on our side, like they're on our side They're When, when they hear about injustice, they don't, they're pretty appalled and they don't understand it. I've, I've, I've said this before. I think that I've never had the conversation with someone and them here and not go, Oh my, why? And how, no one's, no one's ever said, mm, yeah, I understand. No one ever. But what I think you're talking about is just the conversations that people have. 
It's like when someone's racist and they say, I'm not racist. I'm just this and that. And they're saying something or any ism. They don't, people aren't aware that they're actually saying something that is really part of the problem. I'll give you an example. Just last week, someone came to me and told me a story, which I believe is true, uh, but I've heard the story so many times. It almost feels not like- Not this exact story. Different stories like this, right? Yeah, like, like this, but similar. So like, I kind of feel like- This is the dialogue that happens on this particular topic. Like yeah, this like is, I bring, once once you find out my son has Down syndrome, then this could be a story that come, that you talk that about. That people you tell you. Yes. Yes. So this story is that- And can I just say that we know that people are always doing their best. Oh, yeah. What's to blame is the lack of inclusion. I use the word that it's a perfectly innocent story. An innocent ignorance. It's it's innocent. It's yeah. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, either, I think people hear that they'll be like sense. ignorance is Down syndrome awareness month, but they're totally unaware. When people tell you it's just like the welcome to Holland, where some people enjoy that story, or when people say your child's an angel, or when people say, I love what you're doing, that you're raising your child and all of those things. We all have heard them. They're just things that people say because and they think that they're saying the right thing. Just like when you go through something terrible and someone comes up to you and says, Well, this will pass or it's for the best or it will make you strong. And it's like they tell you these things that they're just programmed to say. Because they think that that's what they've been taught to say, but they don't help and they hurt really. And it's just people doing their best when really in that, in those moments, you can just be silent and just be loving is, was, would, would really be the, the right thing. But this is what you're saying. This story is one of those situations. Yes. This woman told me, this friend of mine. After finding out Liam had Down syndrome. Yes. One of the stories she wanted to say was, I had a friend who was a bit older when she was pregnant and was told that she had a, it was a geriatric pregnancy. It was, she was older, so she was high risk. Which is the first misperception of this (laughs) story. This is the first misperception because what is the, what was the percentage? 80% of children born with Down syndrome are born to mothers that are 35 or under. But they try to make it because one, it's about shaming women and about women growing old and using geriatrics at the age of 48 or 50, even 50 is like, that's that's just like, you know, it's just to say someone who's geriatric. I mean, I could think if I'm 95 and I decide to get pregnant, then I'm geriatric. I think it's, it's so much, it's so much misperception that's being propagated. It's so, it's, it's so much oppressive language. And that is what starts this conversation. That is what plants the seed, the very, very seed uh, of that Down syndrome is a bad thing. Whereas I know so many people who I love who desperately tried to have babies and couldn't. So to say that any woman's pregnancy is to to, to put that kind of uh, coloring on it, to put that to jade it in any way whatsoever, whoever does that shame on them, whatever doctor they, they need to get, they need to get a good talking to continue. Boo. And since she was over 35, they did all these tests, you know, that we know about and the tests came back that she was very high risk with this child of having down syndrome and where she was in her pregnancy. Her doctor was making her aware that, you need to decide now if you'd like to continue with this pregnancy or not. Well, this woman's telling me this story and saying, and she said, no, I'm sticking with this pregnancy. This is my baby. And guess what? She had the baby. 
and the baby was perfectly healthy. Now, that story seems innocent enough. You have a high risk for... I don't even know the purpose of telling you that Down story, syndrome. to be no, honest with you. I, d- I don't yeah. even know the purpose. I don't pur- know the purpose. She was celebrating the fact that, whoo, lucky that woman had I a... I think it's like, oh, that person had a brush with Down syndrome. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but she didn't. So here's your awareness campaign, is to, to make people aware, Well, that aware, story is right? a very common story that many people have probably heard. What it does is it says, oh, this person had a high risk for Down syndrome in their pregnancy. They decided not to terminate. And guess what? The child was perfectly normal, was perfectly healthy, let's say. Normal would have thrown me for another loop, but perfectly healthy. As if we had terminated this pregnancy, oh my goodness, what a tragedy. Because the baby didn't have Down syndrome. But if the fetus had Down syndrome and and the termination would have happened, that would have been justified. That's the underlining theme of that story. That, oh my goodness, just think if she had terminated that pregnancy. To this perfectly good, typical. She means good. She doesn't know typical. She doesn't know any other. She means like per- viable. Yeah. Well, that's the thought. Reasonable. It's an innocent story that everyone can say, oh, I understand saying that story. That seems like a, it's not, a, it's just what, how we all think as society. But that's directly saying that, that the Down syndrome life is not equal to a typical life. That the Down syndrome fetus is not equal to a typical fetus. And that is just where we're at in society. Innocently, that's where people think. And so for me, the awareness is if we're aware, if our community is aware of that and aware of what we're going up against, a group that sees our children as less than, sees our children as unequal to their typical children, then at least, but innocently, like it's not, I don't think they mean I think you could anything. stop using the word innocent though. I, I don't think it's innocent. I think, I, I think that's where you say like it's ignorance. It's okay. Yeah. It's not. Um, well, when I brought it up to her and told her and made her aware, just like I'm saying the story now, she did step back and go, oh boy, she had never seen the story in that light. She didn't realize what she was saying. She was just saying words. Totally regurgitating words. Totally just saying words and not thinking about those words. Or what she's propagating. Yeah, it's propagating a uh, continuing this story. Inequality. Of inequality. And that a life with a disability is less than. Yes. And when I made her aware of that, she apologized. And I think she wouldn't say that story again. But I think she saw it from a different light. She went, oh my gosh. I just, I think she would say subconsciously, I thought of these lives as unequal. But honestly, she does. And she did. I don't even know if it's like thinking of these lives as unequal. I think it just carries the burden of like people think Down syndrome is bad. Yes. Like that is what we're told. That is what we're fed. You know, I remember when Sophia was 20 weeks and 22 weeks in my stomach and the doctor said, you have to choose. And I said, I tell this story and I've retold the story of, and she didn't have Down syndrome. She wasn't born with Down syndrome. And he was like, you need to do something. You need to decide now. And then when Liam was in my stomach and I was like, I asked about different, like what they did, they see anything? And they were like, no. And Liam was born with Down syndrome. And my point is that the medical community doesn't know everything. That's my point is like, they don't know. They don't absolutely always know. So you need to know. You need to know. I never saw it as unequal. I just saw it as a doctor who really didn't know what he was talking about. In either case, like they're just 
just saying things like, and, and honestly, the, the conversation with Down syndrome would be like, there's a high risk. So these are supports you should look into. That's really how that conversation should end. And this is what you can do. This is when you get those supports. And I think that that is about bringing awareness, bringing awareness. Like when we are out in the world, I think it's bringing awareness to myself because we just had a thing with an after school program that I've spoke a little bit about and um, they're not connected with our lovely school. It's an independent thing. But on the first conversation, there were a few words that were said and a few phrases that were said. And I let them gaze over me because I'm really trying not to just like jump on people and think that everybody is Carpenter Community Charter or the LAUSD school system. Uh, I'm trying to have a beginner's mindset when I speak to people and assume ability. And then maybe the second conversation happened and some other words came up that were, you know, little flags of non-equanimity in, in the perception of my son. And then when the third time it happened, I just, I said, well, it's not my job to change this person because now I've had three conversations that were clearly conversations of advocacy and equality. And the words keep happening about, well, people just have to get used to Liam, or I don't know if he's a good fit or these kind of things. And my voice has been expressed that these are words that are limiting and non-inclusive. And so I've done my part. And then I just decided to look at what is good about those after school hours on this particular day of the week and lean into that, lean into the activities that he does like and what can happen in those few hours on a given afternoon. Because I had to take the, make the choice. Do I take him out? Do I leave him in? And what was important to me was to keep the communication and to be honest about my feelings and thoughts with both the school, even though it's independent, they should know that this is an actual conversation um, that is is happening and it's somewhat connected. And with the program itself to let them know that you're non-inclusive and that the verbiage that you use is inappropriate and offensive to a mother with a son who has Down syndrome, who finds her son to be equal to his peers. And once I do that, then they can choose. That's when they choose. And I give them the power and the space to make the change, but it's no longer part of me. Like I don't have to give it any more energy than that. I can step and go and lean into that good, juicy place that is actually uh, supportive and loving and a positive part of my son's life. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a fight. No, you don't have to yell if stuff, if something is wrong. You can just ask for a change. It's like if you're in a restaurant and they serve you the wrong meal or a bowl of soup and there's a fly in it, you just send it back. You don't have to yell. You can because it's pretty gross. But, and, so, and so is inequality. But if your soup has a fly in it, you send it back. Just let your voice be your advocacy and, and that, that be your awareness. Make people aware. Another situation that happened this week was, uh, and some of you may have this experience, where recently, because he's in middle school, and things go so fast in middle school, and um, Liam has been reaching, using his 
his sense of touch more, like to touch someone on the shoulder or as he's passing or whatever. We had a conversation. We were called and there was a conversation about this is a challenge that we're having and we want to talk about ways to support Liam. And as always, it was a beautiful conversation of different pronged ways of support that were really maybe different language, but in line with how we f- we feel would be a positive way to do it. And honestly, things that we've been doing at home, but there has to be consistency. And that's why you need a conversation with your school because well, it's good the school brought it up. Yeah, right? but the school brought it up. Yeah. But the one thing that I brought up was because it's very important to me now that Liam is 12 is he's a young man, he's going through puberty, he's in middle school, and none of those things are fun for anyone, or most people, that I can accept that there is a challenge that we're going to address, because there's challenges. I mean, my daughter's in high school, there's challenges, we see it, and then we address it. And then we put supports there and give them tools to handle different phases of their life. So I can accept the challenge. And but then what I have learned to do is I don't tell people what to do. I ask questions because that's what collaboration and teamwork is about, is asking questions and finding answers. So I ask the question, why is the challenge there? And what can we do? Because I know part of why the touching is there is because his language is still coming in and we have failed him. The school district, not this particular school, but the school district failed him in the past with speech. So now he's in this faster paced place with all of these things going on and we haven't given him the tools that he needs. So what has he always done his whole life? He's found the tools. He's found the way to get through. And if a kid speeds by and, oh, I forgot their name and I want to say something and it happens in a split second, it's easier to reach out and touch than all of these processing things that have to happen to say someone's name. And am I going to say it loud enough? Do I have the ability to say it loud enough and clear enough in this loud, bustling arena of middle school? So... This is the conversation that I invited into the collaboration and the reminder and recognition that we have failed him. And now how are we going to support him and how do we move forward to make that change? We have to slow down in the moment, which is so hard. It's so hard to do. I catch myself all the time. And these are things that everyone does. I mean, there's times where you someone's walking by and you put your hand out on their shoulder or something and say, hey, hey, or you maybe not even say something. But for Liam, if he's really trying to commu- communicate with someone and they're yelling, screaming on a playground and there's activity, yeah, he's just trying to, uh, it's communication. It's like being in a cl- crowded room, right? Totally. A crowded Christmas party, a holiday party at your yes. work, right? That's what you do. But we don't get pulled to the side and have a conversation about space and and all of these rules, which I do think the conversation and, and, and learning those tools is definitely important, but there has to be a participation. We have to allow Liam to participate in his, in his life. He has to be a participant in it. We have to slow down. We have to give him the words. We have to create a conversation with him. So there's an understanding and not just telling him what he's going to do. Because anybody, if you just tell them what to do, it's either not going to be done all the time or it's not like... Just tell me what to do and I can follow the action. But eventually I'm going to be like, why am I doing this? Like, can you explain to me why I'm doing this? And I'm usually going to ask that question. Why am I doing this? Why do you want me to make this change? 
Why the is school this important? Very, um, oh, the school is amazing. Appreciative of. Oh yeah, of, and they they always are. But this is like this is, you know, just to sh- just share time is that that it's important to have conversations because Liam doesn't touch because he has Down syndrome. He touches because people move fast and it's easier to get someone's attention. And all that goes into the split second and it's just easier to touch. And we've all done it. And we should afford him the same understanding that is given to us. Like usually if I touch someone and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry to do that, but I just wanted to stop you for a second. I just wanted to say something, right? We teach Liam to self-advocate. And the other thing that is so important that I don't know if this gets taught to our kids is that he does not have to be friends with everyone. And there are kids that just won't get it and won't get him. And that is okay. It's okay for you. It's okay for me. It took me a long time to understand that. It's not Liam's problem. <laughs> no, it is not Liam's problem. He does have to respect the space and the boundaries, but he does not have to take 100% responsibility of any relationship. What I learned, what I was taught later, much later in my life, and it is something that I teach my daughter right out of the gate is that it is not your business. The people who do not like you are not your business. Nothing to do with you. That's, that's them. That's their problem. You get to be you and, and we allow people to be them. And that's the same thing goes for Liam. It's not his problem. You're right, boo. It's not his problem. Liam gets to be Liam. And if people don't like him, boy, are they missing out on something Mm -hmm. good? You know, I saw this post that someone wrote about the resource teacher that their child had. And this teacher told the parent that the parent did not have to worry about educating her son, that she should stay focused on life skills. And I believe this was the elementary school level, which is still, it's beyond me. Mm. It's beyond me. Online? Mm-hmm. It was on one of the pages. and mm. But it's not just once. You see no. it all the time. And it was what we experienced was these resource teachers that, that, And it's usually the older ones who, you know, just like the institutions are not that far away from us, folks. These teachers who believed in those institutions or understand the power of those institutions or the little bit of education that our children received after those institutions, those people are dangerous because they have a belief system that is ingrained in them. And that is that our children cannot and should not be educated. Well, their belief system is they don't believe in our children. It's the teacher. It's the one lady who sat at our last IEP who said, Mm -hmm. well, it's my experience that these kids, and I think that any teacher who refers to anybody as these kids, uh, they need to just go do something else because that is, an inappropriate discriminatory language. These kids, my son is not a twin. They walked into any classroom and just took a group of kids that they thought were these kids and pulled them to the side. Anything. It'd be any commonality. Oh yeah. So those teachers be aware of them. They're dangerous and you have the right to call them on their garbage. Just know that bring awareness to that. Things have changed. Guess what? We live in a world of diversity and inclusion now. Sorry to burst that bubble, but things have changed and you should change with them. 
see, I was going to be kind. And now that just, that just burned. That just, that makes me, because there's so much, because a lot of people drop their kids off at school and expect that they're going to be educated. And you have these people who say, you don't need to do that. You don't need to worry. Why don't I need to worry about my child? Is he what? Why? Make them say it. Actually, you tell me why I don't have to worry about my child's education. You tell me why you don't think it's worth your time. Ask them to tell you. And then follow that up in writing to their boss and say, I just want to follow up that this is what you said, why you didn't want to educate my child. Because here is the thing, the teacher who said that, that your child should only focus on life skills, that teacher could use a few life skills herself, like personal responsibility, work ethic, and manners, and also knowing the law. She might want to know the law. We need to be aware that the messages that those words are still propagating, and parents need to know that the right to an education is a civil right. And that teacher needs to know that too. One cannot just choose, although they do quite a bit, to violate that civil right. And if that teacher feels that it is too much to educate the child, she can get another job. Also, it is the school's responsibility to pay someone who can do the job. If they're going to say they can't educate your child, is your child's civil right, they must pay for somebody who can educate your child. And it doesn't have to be a special day class. It can be an inclusive program. And they get federal funds for that. They do get federal funds. And so if they're taking money for a job and then refusing to do it, that is mm-hmm. under a little thing called embezzlement. And you can tell them that too. Honestly, they don't give a crap if that's who they are, but you can just remind them gently that that's what it is. And I think that then you have a little bit of power because they know that you know the law. And unfortunately, that's what some of that is. But still, it's like a fly in the soup. Just send it back. You don't. My goal is for none of you to have to feel the anger and frustration because the anger and frustration only hurts you. So if you can say those words without just factually, just like their violation of your, your rights, they just do it factually. Um, if we can say it in a way that you can keep some of your peace, um, that is really the ultimate goal because they do it every day, but we don't have to accept it. We can send back that bowl of soup to the kitchen and have them give us something without a fly in it. You know, we started this podcast because we wanted to give parents some information going into this kind of the unknown, just so you kind of know what you're dealing with. And I don't think I've ever thought of Down syndrome awareness month like we're talking. No, because I think when you say awareness of going to the unknown, what I needed to remember when at 10 days old, we were given the diagnosis and everything in that NICU shifted and everybody became so morose is every single moment is unknown. Every single moment of life is unknown except for the ones that are behind us. Like there's, we, I don't know anything. I don't know what's going to happen, but somebody's words can make me think that they do and they don't. They don't. Yeah, we're, we're, to- we're told we have to be so prepared because we have this, we've brought this particular life into the world. Is that what we're told? I don't think we're told that. I think that we're told, um, yeah, it does become like, why did you didn't remember mine was <laughs> you could, you could have gotten a test. And I, 
I, we all have those stories and they're wrong. And I think just having conversations about it is in that moment, instead of just like stopping her, maybe if I would have just had a conversation and just said, what you're saying is inappropriate and you can come back and talk to me when you have information that you think can help me and help my child, right? Don't, don't propagate stereotypes. Give me actual facts and um, that will help. Not whatever agenda you have, go, just go. I did say just go though. But what I forgot, like it, it was so isolating. That moment was so isolating. And I think that was what, 12, 12 years, more, almost 13 years ago. It really um, put us in, we like our bubble, but it put us in a different bubble and it made us feel so far away and detached. And, and that was really like up until we, a year ago, almost a year ago, it's almost been a year since we left that school that we finally like can breathe and it's new and we're not detached. And we know that nobody can tell us who our son will be except our son. And all of those things kind of fell away. But before that, it was so isolating, so lonely. Even if it, we knew somebody else, it was just so lonely because we were usually, I mean, in the other school, we were, it, the majority was people who did not understand because it's not the actual journey. It's not the doctor's visits. It's not these, it's, it's the society. It's the school system. It's the things that people are allowed to do and say, or think they can do or say until we gently ask them, maybe, why do you say that? Do you know what those words do? Do you know what that feels like to me when you say those things? Do you know how you're perceived when you say those things? I, if I could go back, those would be the conversations. Those would be the conversations that I had. And it would have been, I think, such a more peaceful journey. What I want to be aware of and what I've just recently been reminded of, and this is my awareness, this is my awareness month, is that there is pain and injustice in the world across the board. It has nothing to do with the chromosome. It's not just people with disabilities. And I say that because I forgot it. The fight for Liam's education made us feel like it was us against the world. But it isn't. It's just a broken education system. It's just propagated misperceptions that I think that we're doing a really good job as a community breaking those misperceptions. There's so many beautiful people. Connor Long, Chris Nitchik, Kata Segelko, who does public speaking on advocacy and people. And you know what I loved about that conversation with Kata is she, she didn't say, I want people with Down syndrome to know they have a voice. She said, I want people to know they all have a voice and everyone's voice is important and to help them find it and use it. That's what mm -hmm. she said. People. Mm -hmm. She's so good. She doesn't she doesn't discriminate it against people without down syndrome. <laughs> She's like all inclusive. She's like, mm -hmm. and you know what? It's not just people with down syndrome who need to know they have a voice. Mm -hmm. I need to know I have a voice. I want my daughter to know she has a voice. Every marginalized community needs to know they have a voice and use the voice. I look around at all the marginalized groups in this world. And our commonality is that finding our voice, being heard, and then taking back our power. Not even taking back because that sounds like a fight. 
standing in our power. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with anything outside of ourself. Another thing that I learned from Kata, or I was reminded, or actually finally heard, doesn't have anything to do with anything outside of ourselves. I can stand in my power and be around a bunch of people who are highly underestimating me. And you know what? Sometimes that works to my benefit. (laughs) And that's how Liam makes a change because for the most part, when he walks into a room, people do underestimate him and then they learn. I feel like I forgot all about my power, the power of every day that I am given. Every day when I wake up, if I'm given that gift and that sounds like a cliche, I know it's cliche. How you doing today? I woke up on this side of the ground. I'm good. But it's the truth. If I'm given a day, then I've got power. I've got moments to live, to love, to make a change, to be a change, to be alive. And we're all connected. The thing about our fight for Liam is the gift of Liam. We have absolutely no idea of who he is going to become and what his life will look like. But neither does anyone else, even though they may think they do. I know that Liam gets to create his life just like I get to create my life and you get to create your life. I can give him tools. I can give him the knowledge to know that. I can remind Liam, like I do my daughter, you're not a victim in your life. You create your life. How are you going to react to something? What are you going to do in the moment? And I have to tell you, Liam's reactions are reactions that I covet. But what I want to be aware of, and I think this is where we started, was I want to be aware of my thinking and what words I use. And am I listening to him in whatever way he chooses to communicate? Am I listening? Because he'll know if I'm listening. And when I am listening... It's magic. And I think it's magic for him too, because I don't know if people always listen. They always think they know best. But when I stop and I have conversations, when I stop, and I have to be reminded to stop, I have to remind myself, I'll put that in the oven later. I'll clean that later. This moment, what's in front of me, what's in front of me. Doesn't mean that I neglect my cleaning. And if you have a clean house, you're a bad person because you're not It doesn't, none of that matters. That is a pet peeve. Moms, you're doing your best, whatever you're doing. It's your best. But I want to make sure that I am listening to him and I am allowing him the same space I allowed Sophia to come into her own and that I continue to allow Sophia because it changes as they grow that space. And the great thing about the growing and the sad thing about the growing is that this moment, this moment will never be again. So I better enjoy it, even the challenges. I can breathe and decide my response. I can slow it down and participate. I can deny words and labels that don't belong in my son's life. I can be a difference in others lives remembering that we are all connected I can be a difference by just being present and unconditional in my love and that is a thing that I am 100% 
100% aware that I learned from my son, Liam. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. From the top.